Tifano, Altidor, no my hearty my welcome back to another episode of I Am. That was very lackluster, folks, but that's all good. Welcome back to another episode, listeners. Um, This is a very uh, short time period between both episodes. We said this would be sort of a bit sporadic throughout the year. Um, We weren't going to have a consistent recording time. However, uh, we've decided with the weight of the topic of the mandates that we discussed last week, plus some developments, uh, both with the potential protest uh, events happening tomorrow in regards to vaccine mandates. Don't know why we're going to discuss about that, but also um, Louisa Wall's um, resignation in the Labour Party is quite a quite a big moment um, in history, especially for her legacy that she left um, as a Labour Party uh, member. So, in light of these recent developments, and in light of these uh, big events that have been happening, plus the weight of the mandates, we decided to record another episode only uh, less than a week after our last episode. Uh, we've got a bit of a member change up here today, though, folks. Uh, we are welcoming back special guest Ethan Templeton, um, who offered his um, inspiring words of wisdom last week on uh, elements of communication and things like that. So welcome back to you, Ethan. Thank you so much. Very glad to have you back on the show. Um, and... Uh, welcome back to you, Kate, of course, uh, one yep. of our more reliable members. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and we are missing Samantha and Case. Uh, Case has missed another episode. He's sort of racking up these missed episodes at the moment, but I guess he is very busy. Uh, but that's all good. And Samantha has decided to fly home to Napier. I don't know why. Doesn't seem important, especially when it comes to uh, Oya. Or yeah, must reign supreme. And of course, welcome back, Jack, who we haven't seen on the episode for a while. Welcome back to you, down in the Thank cold wasteland back. that is Dunedin. It's been great. Wonderful. Welcome back. Great to have you back on board. Alrighty, folks. So let's get straight into it. So we did discuss last week about vaccine mandates and how the government has just recently announced that they are dropping uh, vaccine mandates across a number of its uh, own institutions as well as the compulsory requirement um, for businesses, plus also uh, the changes in the alert level red, which has seen the QR code thing being dropped as well. That was something that we didn't quite touch on as much as I would have liked to um, last week. So just opening it to the floor in general, what are our sort of feelings and thoughts since last week? And Jack, you adding your own opinion here as well, because you weren't here last week. What are our general thoughts and feelings about this move and how we're seeing a change, uh, and especially when it comes to an Omicron outbreak? What are our thoughts? I think it's the wrong time to do this, honestly. Um, there's a lot of cases, everyone knows someone with COVID at this point. It's just not great, especially for people like me and my family who are immunocompromised because, you know, we, we can't really be going out because the risk is just so high and then people uh, no longer need to be vaccinated or once this date comes past, they no longer need to be vaccinated. So all of the people like me and my family, we're just put in this position where it's like, well, we give up now. We don't care. Like, it's like the, the, how the turns have tabled, you know, the people that were put in the box, put in a box where they're not allowed to do stuff. um, They were the unvaccinated people. So now they're sort of like, well, okay, you can be free now. Um, It's, it's the immunocompromised people's turn to be in that box, you know, it's not really the greatest idea, but I can see why. It's because the government's sort of given up and just following what everyone else has done and just given up. So 
I don't know if it's sustainable, though, to continue on with the intensity that the government has placed upon restrictions. I don't, I don't think we could have done that forever. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, it does affect those people who well, are a lot Yeah, more we couldn't have done it forever, but, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very it really delicate situation. Right yeah, but um, I do definitely think, like, now's the time, if not too late already, to be releasing those restrictions. Um I think that's the real question. If we have such an out, you know, this is the worst that it's been in, in New Zealand. So is now the time? So okay, so from my perspective, we've already been over the peak. In Dunedin, it was uh what was it like mid-February? That was our peak, was around O week. Um, that's how I count time. Um, so that was our peak, and from now on it's just been you know, it's the tail end for us in Dunedin. Um, but, yes, but I mean, the point is, is that Dunedin's not New Zealand. I mean, I'm not sure I could say the same oh, about totally, Wellington. Totally. Is that Wellington, but from I my think, perspective, is only... it, it's, yeah, it's felt like, okay, these restrictions need to start moving along and probably not going to work changing restrictions from one, you know, area of the country to another. But uh, I had the perspective that, this kind of, we're starting to peter out now with cases. Um, Ethan, did you want to say something? Yes, Ethan, we'll uh, recognise you. Thank you very much. I think what we've seen here is that there is clearly a divide or a debate between uh, regional New Zealand and the cities of New Zealand. And that the main cities, you know, obviously Charlie and I can bring a perspective from Wellington. Um, Jack's talking from Dunedin. You know, our peak has kind of gone over. I mean, I still have friends and stuff that are getting COVID and and such like that. But Kate brings a very interesting point that it's the regions that are now starting to get hit. I know a lot of people back home, um, back in Hawke's Bay that are getting hit now. So I think it's a very um, city or urban view perhaps that it's time to get rid of these restrictions because they've served our purposes, but yet they haven't served the region's purposes. Therefore, um, you know, it's not a, a majority, well, not a majority, but a good part of New Zealand is still being affected and therefore the question is is now the, the right time considering and also just an, an, another point in terms of uh just adding on to ethan's point there in terms of like uh dunedin as an example um it also a lot of their cases came out of the o-week celebrations that um you know resulted in there being a peak in the first place i think for a lot of regions and another uh, other areas across the country especially even for wellington i'm not sure if we've reached our peak here either like our cases are still continuing to climb most days and we haven't reached to the point where dunedin is i agree has reached its peak and is falling off but for other urban areas that have had their o-week cases or maybe not even o-week cases in general just cases that have come later uh their outbreaks and their clusters have come later we're still seeing the peak of that so it is definitely i think we need to be in mind that um, we need to be looking across all of New Zealand. And of course, maybe for Dunedin, it might be a little bit different, but what could come out of this is potentially, I'm not sure if you're suggesting this, Jack, is to have regional-based mandates. Is that a potential viable option to get around this? Or do we need to be continuing a national approach when it comes to mandates? Uh, to be honest, I don't think that'll work. New um, Zealand, New Zealand's too small to Hang on, Kate, places. we'll just let Jack talk. So I just think like the, we just, um, just sorry, Jack. I, um, no, I'm interrupting you after telling off Kate for interrupting you. <laughs> Can we just use the hand up emoji? And I'll just uh, reference that. Just it's a bit easier with Zoom because, of course, in person it's a little bit easy to work out when people are talking and whatnot. But on Zoom it's a little okay. bit harder. So we'll just I'll, use the I'll hand just up. My bit yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Go. Sorry, Kate. Um, I think it's too difficult to try and police um, the you know regions. To be honest, um, there's a lot of travel between them, and I don't know how effective that would be. 
um, by doing it on a regional basis. Um, unfortunately, it is the rules are made kind of in favour of what what works for the majority. And if the majority are living in cities with peaks approaching soon or have already happened, then they're probably going to be influencing the you know relaxed uh, regulations. Uh, Kate, I I I don't know because. New Zealand's too small to do the regional-based things. And you're always going to have people that intermingle between all the different areas. But, like, Hawke's Bay is a very interesting area because as much as you've got that, you know, small urban place, uh, the cases are rising. But you've also got a lot of poor places in Hawke's Bay. So there are I know a lot of people who aren't actually reporting the COVID case. So can we trust these numbers as we do because a lot of cases aren't reported because people don't want to have that week of isolation because they can't afford it or their work doesn't want them to they or people just don't want to get tested because they don't want that result in the first place so you don't really know how much COVID is actually out there because I think there's a lot more than the numbers say there are because I personally know a lot of people who haven't reported it or I don't know. There's there's a lot of loopholes with this whole COVID thing, and it's very very messy. It's very hard to to narrow it down. So I understand why they're releasing these, you know, guidelines or whatever. But I think if they waited a few more weeks just for, you know, a lot of the other places to catch up with the peaks, it would have been better because it's gone a little bit crazy. Also, another point, I think, on top of that as well, is that we're talking about peaks like they're the only peaks that we have. Uh, We've seen across um, the world is that um, not only are we seeing peaks uh, continually happening, so one peak is not, you know, the end of it at all. You know, there are second peaks and third peaks and, you know, second waves and third waves, and those have peaks. But also we're seeing this on a seasonal basis. So just because we may be going down the one side of a peak doesn't mean that, you know, the next minute we're going to be going up another. So does dropping mandates at this point, especially when we know sort of the volatile kind of situation that we're in uh, and comparing it to the rest of the world, which is a lot later in their COVID-19 um, development, is dropping mandates right now the best idea when we know that there could be a second wave? Okay. Um, oh, there we go. I will, say, I will expand on that. Thank you very much, Charlie. You're welcome. Um, I think, yeah, I completely agree with you that there's going to be different peaks. However, I think in the case of New Zealand, you know, sure, we can compare ourselves to countries around the world, and particularly. Uh, say Europe or the United States, but I feel like because New Zealand is more of a smaller country, there there is that expectation of we're just going to have this one major because the peak that we're currently currently experiencing is quite major. I'm sure we can all agree on that. Um, but I think the expectation is because that's such a big part. You know, there will be a big bulk of New Zealand, and that that hopefully will be the biggest peak. But again, like you like you say, no one really knows what that means. And obviously with the new research and new data showing that you can get COVID more than once, is there going to be another serious peak? Kate? Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing because um, you people think that, you know, you'll just get COVID once, we'll just peak and then it'll be over. But that's not what's happening. There's different variants coming out. There's people getting it more than once. There's... 
it's just such a varied like I don't know what you call it a virus it's it's so varied and it's like a case-by-case thing it's also city by city it's just there's so much going on like it's a lot to deal with and when you look at how New Zealand compares to internationally we are quite you know behind because all these other countries have had their peaks like in 2020 you know like it's it's very interesting what New Zealand's doing because it's sort of very different but also quite similar to other countries Mm. Do you think that? Oh, sorry. No, no, Um, you go, Jack. You you go, Jack. Do you guys think that the relaxing of restrictions uh, is more of a political move than scientifically led move? I mean, I'm, I'm under the impression that Labour is attempting to try the long game um, in terms of how. Well, maybe if we hear in last episode, you'd know. Pardon? We that was. I mean, that's what we discussed last week, Jack. You were there. You would know. yeah, I think the general consensus was that um, Labour is doing this in turn of politics, in terms of vote grabbing, and that they are pleasing to the National Party supporters, who are clearly fond of, if we look at the poll numbers, that um, dropping mandates is the way to go. And so we discussed, and I think we all came to the consensus, that, yeah, it is a political move more than a scientific move. How effective would these restrictions continue to be, though, if they were wildly unpopular um, and our police force is seen as possibly weaker after the um, protests or lack of action oh, that happened abs- there within the first couple of weeks? Absolutely not. I think the police response was a good balance between uh, a okay. too much of a strong response, which, you know, is what we see in like places like America, which, you know, creates more yeah. violence as a result, but also not letting them get away with it. Like giving them a chance to have their say and have their voice and, you know, to be there for a little while. Yes, it sucked. And yes, it sucked, especially for Wellingtonians. And certainly I, on a personal level, would have wanted them cleared out the minute that they got there. But looking from more of a police strategic perspective, it probably made sense to give them time and give them time and give them options and make sure that it was at least a passive communication between the two groups before they did move in and clear them out. It's about balance and to go on an American style war sort of style of marching in the minute they get there is not a good narrative for both police, especially when police brutality um, versus the kind of response that we saw in New Zealand, which was one that I believe was a good balance between uh, not certainly not weak. People have their perspectives about that, of course, and I'm sure we'll hear them today. But I think it was a good balance between uh, what could have been a more disastrous policy versus a complete, you know, let them do what they want sort of style of policing. Uh, Ethan? Yeah, just expanding off what you said, you know, this was a very um, almost Americanized side of politics. I just kind of want to see everyone's perspective of do we think that what we saw, um, what we've seen over the past couple of months perhaps, is that New Zealand politics, is that Kiwiana, or is that showing the dangers of international and social media influence within our national political um, sphere? Jack? All right, I was going to bring up a different point. I'll let someone else answer that one. Uh, was that phrased as a question, Ethan? Well, yeah, I just, I just want general discussion. What do people <laughs> think about that? Do we, 
is it i just got a notification saying that we got 10 minutes left i do apologize ethan please repeat the question um well i just i just want people's opinion on mm. is this a mirror uh, do we think um what we've seen over the past couple of months do we think that you know like an americanized version of new zealand politics you know social media's influence on new zealand politics or yeah. is that the world is that the country that we live in oh absolutely i agree it is a very american style um oh. Okay, I think that the, in terms of this particular protest and the tools that have been used for this protest and the significant polarization that I think we've seen before, but never to the levels that we've seen um, in this particular protest, with especially with the infiltration of like violence as well, uh, being such a kind of like a root part of it uh, a little bit. I think that we could look at other protests in New Zealand, like the Springbok Tour protests, uh, which were very polarizing and very decisive for New Zealand. But I think we've moved past the identity that supporting the Springbok Tour was a good idea. I think that most people agree now that going against the Springbok Tour, because we signed an international agreement, the Glen Eagles agreement to not host any South African uh, rugby, that I think now in the modern day sense, especially in how we're teaching history, uh, that we're no longer as polarized on that particular issue anymore. I think with the mandates thing, I don't think that there's ever going to be a potential opportunity to kind of be like, hey, this is the way that, you know, we all agree now that this protest wasn't good because I think that the when it comes to the protest, it's so embedded in each individual group's identity. And I think that that's what we see in America with Republican versus Democrat. We're now seeing, you know, conspiracy theorists versus everyday New Zealanders. Um, and so now we're getting very, very much like these kind of two different groups, very polarized versus what we saw on the Springbok tour, which was just kind of like, we just want to watch rugby versus, you know, being against apartheid. But of course, there was so, there were like this come to light so many different legal things that may justified the Springbok tour protests in the first place, especially with the Glen Eagles agreement. But that's just my perspective. Anyone else wants to add to that? Then we'll certainly, Jack? Um, and on that point, you know, around protest and kind of defying rules or social norms, whatever, I mean, I, you know, I think that whatever laws and regulations you have in place, that implies coercion. And to have coercion, that's why we have a police force, right? To make people follow these rules, to catch them out, put them in jail for not following them. Um, I... From my perspective, especially the start of the protest, maybe not towards the end, it was felt by a lot of the public that the police force weren't ballsy enough, I'll use that term, to actually make something happen. I, and this is actually, I think, probably it's a good thing that they didn't um, go in American-style police brutality, um, clear protesters out. But I do believe that it makes the police viewed less as a tool of the law and um that fear can you know force people into following restrictions and i think that when you don't have that fear and if you don't have the popularity behind the laws then they'll start to not being followed um so i think you know if the mandates are no longer seen as necessary by the majority of people and you're also not scared of your police force you'll probably start you know not following these re regulations and as soon as you aren't then the whole strategy against preventing COVID won't work um, because you need, the way that the law has been put in place is that you need to follow all of these things to reduce the spread. And so if, even if little things like not wearing your mask properly, you're, you're not helping reduce the spread, you're actually just continuing it. But people feel sick of those rules 
and so they don't do it and so the whole like you know point of re- reducing spread isn't being achieved I'm not sure if I completely agree with that. People still break rules even when a police force is apparently seen as one that is very decisive and very quick. Look at America. People still break rules over there. Look at the Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, the police took this hard-end approach that many New Zealanders wanted in order to make the police force seem scary um, so that they don't break the rules anymore and they stop breaking the rules and they don't do that again. But yeah, we saw with the BLM protest, as much as it was a great protest and you know it had good meaning behind it, there were certain elements of it that did result in you know the breaking of the law now of course the questions of police brutality you know putting that aside because that in itself is a disgusting uh thing that is a part of and you know the reasons why the blm protests exist but to have that police brutality force in there if we're saying that that stops people from breaking rules in a protest then i think that we can use the american examples to actually say that that does not happen because people still do break rules even with a decisive police force Um, yes, no, I, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but I think that to the degree of like popular breaking of rules, I mean, that was, that was a group of protesters, obviously, but I'm saying like, this is relevant to most New Zealanders now in some way we break rules now, which to most people, that wasn't usually something you'd do, but because the regulations are obviously very restrictive, you know, it's a lot easier to break these kind of rules. Um, and then that kind of becomes like commonplace in a way that you're just like, oh, okay. I mean, I meant to wear my mask, but like, I won't. Okay, okay so obviously we've talked about, about um, mandates for a while now. People so we're going to move on to the, um, the potential for uh, a protest that could be happening in Wellington tomorrow about, about vaccine mandates. The same protest group rules, uh, that had camped out at Parliament for a month care. is planning on making a big recumbent. You know, Phoenix rising out of the ashes to reclaim their glory. Uh, what do we think, and speaking we about the police response like, that's um, not to the last protest, what do we think the police response be should be to uh, the protests this not, time? Do we think we should be um, keeping the same, if yeah. they do but decide to camp out, just, keeping yeah. the same protest that we did last time, or get straight in there, or do nothing at all, we can't really do anything because they're just going to keep coming back? What are our thoughts on that, folks? Uh, Ethan? Um, I definitely think the response should be relative to the way that the protest is, is conducted. If it's a similar protest to what we've seen throughout New Zealand history, where it's very peaceful and, um, you know, a traditional protest, beautiful. However, if it turns into a violent clusterfuck like it did last time, then we can readdress that. Yeah, completely agree with that. No, that is a, a very valid point. I think it should be relative uh, to the protest. Kate, did you have anything to add there as well? Um, yeah, I just want to know why they're protesting in the first place because <laughs> the mandates are going. Everything's going. Why are you protesting? I wonder, what are you protesting? I wonder if it's like fringes that are just generally against any sort of like COVID-19 response or don't believe that. Just send her our damn spoke. Let's kill her yeah i'm um, actually i'm glad you brought that up kate because i wonder if it is like moving beyond just a covid-based response to more of like just a general hate labor hate just under our kind of uh conspiracy theory protest that it could potentially um become i mean ethan and i are planning on going down there for a little tiki tour and um, to have a little all with all the uh folks down there uh especially if something does happen um with the plan to go check it out um, just seeing as it's three doors sorry. down can we yeah. maybe perhaps do some 
live crossovers on the Instagram. We could Just do this. Some, some inside this from our perspective. I, that's just a very good idea. Um, live journalism. Live, yeah, live journalism. All you know is moving up in the world. Um, I'm sure we can work out something with that. We have got an Instagram. So, yeah, I think we will do that. Um, so keep an eye out, listeners, because uh, this will be on tonight. Keep an eye out, listeners, for our little live crossover tomorrow where we'll be um, down at the protest, hopefully, um, if it's not too violent, and just seeing what's going on outside Parliament. Uh, Kate? I was just thinking, what if you went, like, incognito, you know, dressed up like a little homeless hippie person just well that was kind of wrong but like, <laughs> that's a big generalization there, there kate yeah homeless well, hippie person. There, blend it in just talk to the locals you know have a good time find out what what the heart of it is and i wonder if it's actually going to be like properly planned this time because last time there were no toilets there were nothing so i wonder if it's going to be a little bit better planned I hope it is. I really do hope it is. I hope it. I wonder how far irony would take you. Just literally being like, "Yeah, I hate the government because they like they give us a welfare and all this stuff." Like, I wonder they'd probably take you seriously. Like, I think oh yeah, we'll, we'll fake it till we make it. Protest. Yeah, yeah, give it a go. I'm sure we'll become the leaders of it. These people are sheep. They'll follow whoever they think is best suited to lead them. Um, Maybe right. we'll wear suits. Maybe we will maybe we will i'm pretty sure what we should do when we get down there this is just a plan is wear suits but also wear sunglasses with the suits as well aviators to really just nail it up not, not just like wear the sunglasses they oh, need I? yes yes they do. they do and we need to be wearing white vans we do yeah we do it needs to be a... Purely so that we can show the people on the Instagram that if the open toilet opens back up again, the effects of that. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. All righty. Uh, do we have any other points that we want to add to the new... Um... There was wild marijuana growing in the um, Rose Garden at Parliament. Wow, that is not surprising actually I, I thought i'd be more surprised than that no um that's yeah. really Does funny the government I... be prosecuted for this i don't can the government it's on the government property put them in jail no that's not government property that is new zealand's property that is public land right there folks that's every single land. new zealand so every single new zealander needs right. to be chucked into a jail so new zealand exactly. fundamentally has become a jail which actually it is because, of course, mandates and we're not allowed to travel because it is a jail and this government is just merely keeping us in here so we can work harder and be exploited. Slavery. All righty. Um, I think if anyone else has no more points to add to tomorrow's protest, I'm sure we will know more uh, once we venture down there and uh, indulge in a little bit of protesting against uh, Jacinda Ardern and the Labour government. Other than that, let's move on a little bit. Uh, what I mean by a little bit is quite a lot to Louisa Wall's resignation. Um, quite a quite a surprising, surprising and not surprising at the same time. Um, surprising resignation because, of course, she was the last person, not the last person, but one of the people I thought would not resign. Um, I thought one of the older members, maybe from National, like Drew Bramley, would be going next. Um, so a little bit surprising that she is going, especially, you know, being in the midpoint within um, 
uh, an electoral cycle, but also not surprising because, of course, she had um, some very big issues with uh, her electorate of Maruera, uh, where she was the electoral MP4. However, there was an issue last election where essentially the Labour Committee based there threw her out and appointed someone else to replace her um, to run as the Labour candidate in that area. Um, and so there's been some tensions within the Labour Party about that. Um, but yeah, so what are our thoughts on Louisa Wall's legacy, but also her resignation? What do we think prompted this at this point in time? Is Hugh her replacement? Pardon? Who's her replacement? Is it Hugh? Uh, I will just Google that very quickly. I am not it's, sure. It's Someone that Russ, doesn't matter. Obviously. It might it might yeah. even be Mike Cunt, you know, Mike Hunt. He's he's getting in. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure Mr. Jass's name was pretty pretty up there for the replacement. Oh my Arena Williams. That's who the replacement was. And she won by 73%. So one of the more labor-leaning uh, districts, uh, apart from Rongotai, which is Rongotai, sorry, um, which of course is uh, considered the most left-wing electorate in New Zealand. Uh, so what are our thoughts on Louisa Wall's resignation? Do we have any thoughts on Louisa Wall's resignation, her legacy, um, what she brought to the table, why she's resigned? Nobody, nobody, nobody has anything about she, Louisa She can be a girl boss. She can do what she wants. If she wants to resign, go ahead and resign. People shouldn't be telling politicians, oh, you shouldn't be resigning or you should be resigning because they're just going to do what they want. Yeah, a great point as well, actually, because um, one of the issues that um, many political scientists were saying about why she ended up resigning was the fact that she was quite an outspoken Labour MP. She did not stick by the bench. Uh, as Tover O'Brien put it, the hard bench that's been sat down by Jacinda Ardern, she did not follow that. Um, she spoke out about China when the Labour Party was very much pro-China and being all like, you know, treading on eggshells when it came to the Uyghurs um, and the Uyghur genocide that's going on. Um, she was very uh, pro-China, no, anti-China, <laughs> anti-China, spoke out about that. Um, Jack and I were actually on a panel with Louisa Wall and Simon O'Connor once uh, where she did kind of throw her own party under the bus a little bit um, in favour of her stronger morals. But, you know, I take my hat off to her. Um, she has a great legacy within the Labour Party. She is one of, uh, she spearheaded the um, gay marriage bills through Parliament, um, especially for someone that isn't being put onto a select committee, hasn't had much career elevation, hasn't become a minister. She has a lot of experience in many of these different fields uh, in the rainbow community, as well as the anti-China community. Um, well, you know, against the CCP, um, and she is very good to resign. Well, maybe that's something for you to dig uh, into there, Jack, as a budding uh, politician slash journalist uh, in the future, or slash diplomat. You know, maybe you should uh, go to the embassy in China and investigate it for yourself. Um, but yeah, no, Louise Wall. I mean, the uh, last time you see me, <laughs> potentially, potentially. Um, so, yeah, a big, we take our hat off to Louisa Wall for the efforts that she put into spearheading some of New Zealand's um, most game-changing legislation for people and looking out for people. Um, yeah, so we take our hat off to her and wish her all the best uh, in her future endeavours. Ethan? Yeah, I just want to echo that 
Um, I think, you know, we look at a lot of politicians, um, not just the ones that have been in there for like, you know, five, six terms, like Louisa Wall has been, but, you know, politicians in general, and a lot of them go there, they, unless they didn't get on the front bench, they just sit there and they do nothing notable. But I think Louisa Wall, she, she's taken that opportunity and she's done good. You know, like she, you know, as a gay man, she is the reason really that I can get married. And I'm pretty sure in recent years, she's done a lot um, for women's rights within employment relations. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe her name's been thrown around a lot. And so she's taken this platform and she has done good with it for what she believes for. And I think that is what an MP is meant to do. And I, I wish the other MPs would follow by her example. And she shows that you don't have to be in government to do that. You know, when um, the definition of marriage bill was passed in 2013, she was in opposition. But yet you've got old Simeon Brown in opposition at the moment claiming that he's some great MP, but what's he doing? What has he done? You know what I mean? So he's I got monkey all, ears. He's got monkey ears and he's had two children. That's all he's done, really. <laughs> and he's become the Donald Trump of New Zealand. Um, but Louisa Wall, you know, she's using their, M their MP platform, what an MP is meant to do. 100% agree with you. Um, yeah, Louisa Wall is what I think every New Zealander expects from an MP. When we think Member of Parliament, we're wanting them to not only represent uh, the interests of the electorate, but to be, you know, consider morals when voting yes or no for a piece of legislation. Um, she has gone against the Labour Party numerous times on specific issues, whether or not being against something that they're for um, or just specific minorities within a um, minor details within a bill um, and, you know, going against those in order to stand up for what she thinks is um, believes is right. And I don't think you can say that for many MPs in Parliament. There are not many MPs apart from maybe when David Seymour was a, um, a man of one, a team of one. Um, you know, he's standing up for what he thinks because, of course, he had no party to represent because he was just himself. You know, she, in terms of like a big conglomerate party with big machinery like the Labour Party, to be able to stand up and, you know, for what she believes is right is, is quite a commendable uh, thing. And because of that, she is so well known um, outside of Parliament, especially when she is only merely an MP. Um, also, she was very big um, not only on the marriage definition bill, which she did pass in opposition, which was something that is, you know, we don't often see um, opposition members passing bills that is a very sort of whoever's in government's prerogative to pass bills. Um, but opposition members like uh, Louisa Wall have passed meaningful legislation. She was also very, very big on um, getting conversion therapy banned in New Zealand as well, uh, which I believe no one can disagree with was one of the biggest issues that were, was facing New Zealand at the time point to continue to have that practice um, allowed here in New Zealand was was an awful an awful thing to um, allow, um, especially when you know not, not many people knew about it. Um, so we I think we can all consider that as one of the sort of the big moments for her, um, not only with the gay marriage uh, definition bill, but also with um, conversion therapy and making sure that um, was banned. She worked a lot on that legislation. So yeah, so I think we can all agree. A big head off to Louise Wall. You've done an incredible job, and we wish you from all yum to you the best for your future. Also, I love that she's a sporting queen. Yes, yes. she is.
So she's very versatile. She loves, she stands up for the gay, she stands up for equal rights, but she also loves employee good, rights. Employee rights, but rugby and equal. She's all over the show, and that's what I love. Alrighty, folks, I think that's where we're going to leave it for today's episode. We've covered a, many a topic um, today. But before we do actually leave, I do want to kind of pray, um, pa- pray, pray, uh, pay tribute to uh, the passing of Moana Jackson, um, one of our one of our more important uh, legal Maori legal scholars uh, who wrote some of our most important documents, um, both from the Waitangi Tribunal and just in general, um, around how we can incorporate aspects of tikanga Māori within um, New Zealand law. But not only that, um, in terms of the more of a, le- a legal logistics issue, also advocating um, for specific um, Māori justice and advocating against Māori uh, injustices that have been handed by the government. So the passing of Juan Jackson that we heard about this morning um, was something that I think really struck the nation, uh, passing of a great individual who has really pushed um for Māori rights within both law and outside of law. And um, we, you know, we wish uh, their whānau uh, every success uh, in the future. And yeah, we pay tribute to Moana Jackson and the passing of Moana Jackson there. Um, other than that, thank you very much for tuning in today, folks um, and listeners. Uh, we really appreciate your continued support with OEM, especially through this season two phase. Uh, thank you very much, of course, to Ethan, Kate, Jack, and myself myself <laughs> um thank you very much for joining us and bringing your very 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 wise perspective uh, to the table kia ora.